Hey everyone, welcome to a third session of our first Corinthians Bible study. Um, we want to make sure that you are kind of hearing this in succession, and so if you can, go back and listen to the first couple before you go on, um, because this is all in the context of uh, some of the themes that we've already addressed, like divisions in the church, and how do you deal with divisions. First, we, we saw Paul and Apollos, a division uh, of m- being constructed by the church, saying, I'm following Paul, I'm following Apollos. And he's like, listen, the power is not found in, in eloquence and um, earthly forms, but it is, it is found in the power of the cross, which is essentially saying that um, it is found in dying with Christ, giving up our rights for the sake of the church. And then the second session, we talked about um, sexual immorality and how it was being, one particular instance that Paul's addressing, uh, that it was being tolerated in the church and what we should do when divisions are caused by those who are sinful among us in unrepentant sin, because we're all sinful. And so how do you deal with that? Um, and it, it, again, I think it's really important that when we talk about judgment, and what we're going to see is that he is not placing an expectation on the world to act like Christians. Paul is not saying that he is judging what the world is doing necessarily. He is, he is making judgments because he says he, makes, he pronounces judgment on the one who did such a thing. He is pronouncing judgment on the one in the church for the sake of unity, but also for the sake of purity, the purity of the gospel in uh, in the corporate witness that it, that we are consistent with each other, but also consistent with the gospel, that our lives, our conduct matches the reality of um, new creation, that we have been made new in Christ Jesus. Today in chapter 6, he talks about lawsuits to be resolved in the church, but also he talks about fleeing sexual immorality. Listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 12. He says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for the food. God will destroy both and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the Lord for the body. So he, and then he says, So glorify the Lord with your body. So what Paul says in that in, in, in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, he will repeat later in this chapter. And what he is talking about is saying, listen, not we have freedom in Jesus to not observe the, the law in certain regards. Like, however, he says, but it's not always helpful not to. He's saying not to do things that are wrong, but he's saying there are actually things that are right that you, you aren't bound to, but you, that you should do for the sake of your brother. And so he's talking about giving up and surrendering your, your rights. Now, he does talk in chapter 7 about principles for marriage because this is coming on the heels of his discussion about sexual immorality and, and um, 
he talks about prostitution. He talks about this man in chapter five who who sleeps with his mother, his stepmother, and so there's all of this stuff going on. So when you when he's saying over and over and over again, flee from sexual immorality, they're following this illogical conclusion that well, is sex within marriage immoral? Um, does does not having sex or abstaining from sex? How does that affect sex within marriage? And so they're they're for following this to some logical conclusions that aren't necessarily helpful. But one thing that is helpful is to recognize that their context is different in the sense that they were expecting the Lord to return in their lifetime. I mean, they they really thought that Jesus had had. It had only been, you know, not even a generation since he's passed and, and de- died and rose again and ascended, and he's coming back. And so when they're saying don't have sex or don't get married, they're not necessarily thinking about procreation or the next generation, right? Because they're thinking this thing, this is imminent, this is coming. For us, we believe that Jesus' return is Imminent, it could come at any moment, but the reality is we're so many generations removed that we have been conditioned to think that, well, you know, uh, it is, it's, it's likely that Jesus won't come. And so we think about it slightly different in different terms than maybe they were through different lens. And so he's saying to them, do not deprive one another um, he, he t- in, the, in marriage, that sex is important, but then he goes to, in chapter 7, verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so uh, he is saying, listen, it, he is honoring singleness here. He is honoring singleness, and he is saying, however, if, if you are burning with passion, certainly you should get married. Um, he actually thinks that it's better not to, but if you have to, then, then do it. Um, and so he is defining the roles of sex, but also sh- giving uh, preference in some regards to singleness. Now, when Paul talks about um, sexual immorality and whether it be homosexuality or incest in some regards or temple cult prostitution, whatever he is dealing with, I think that what he, what he wants to say and what the, some of the themes that are rising in the surface is that you don't have to have sex in order to experience life to its fullest. He is saying that it is preferable to be single. Jesus, after all, Jesus was single, never had sex, and displayed the God's fullest intention for humanity, and never had sex. And so to call people to refrain from sex is not asking them to give up living a, a fulfilling life. Now listen, that does not mean that there are real struggles with um, with desires, but what he is saying is that if we don't honor singleness, then what we are saying is that if you, to live a a fulfilling life, you have to be married. 
Now, I think this is really important for us as a church because we should not make marriage an idol to the point where um, marriage is seen as the only way, uh, that we're honoring marriage or we're only talking about marriage or when we talk about sex, maybe you experience this as a young person in youth group where they always talk about wait till you get married to have sex. And what it implied is that 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 that's the only option, one, to be married, and two, to have sex. And so we should honor our singleness, honor singles among us, but that means that as a church, they have to feel as if they are welcome in our community. And so when we have family occasions, whether it be as a church or in our homes, we should be um, ready to invite people who do not have a family unit that is a result of of marriage, that they should be honored and welcomed among us. Even as we make announcements, we should be careful about making announcements related to singles and and to married people, that, that people are welcomed into the broader life of this community, and that we are not saying that people who are single are are simply in a waiting room for what God really wants for them. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's actually perhaps the case that this is the calling that God has for them. Now, in some cases, yeah, people long to be married and it has not happened for them. But it's also possible that we should recognize that this is the life that God has called some people to and that it is an honorable way to live. And so how will you embrace people, uh, the single people in our church? All right, well, we're going to call it quits for today. See you in the next session.